Welcome to episode 219 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. In this episode, playwright and director Beatrice Pisano. Now, this, this episode marks four years of Stageworthy, and I wanted to take another moment to thank you for listening to Stageworthy. I have loved having the opportunity to bring you this show, and I hope that you've enjoyed listening. If you have, I would love it if you'd leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews help new people find this show. And thank you for listening. You know, if you want to drop me a line to tell me about somebody I should have on this show, or if you found a play because you heard about it on Stageworthy, I would love to hear from you. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. And if you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at PhilRickaby, and my website is PhilRickaby.com. Before I get to my conversation with Beatrice Pisano, I wanted to tell you about a show that's coming to the Next Stage Festival, Every Silver Lining. But I thought the best way to do that would be to invite one of the co-creators of the show, Laura Pitchinen, to come and tell us about it. Hey, Laura. Hey. Um, could you just give me uh, just a quick sort of elevator pitch about Every Silver Lining? Yeah, sure. Every Silver Lining is just essentially a feel-good musical about death and grief. It's told through the stories of teenagers after they lose their friend to cancer. The show is going to take you through the entire gamut of human emotion, but you're going to leave the theater with this sense of catharsis and belonging uh, with at least one song stuck in your head. Well, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a... It's a, a dramedy, so even though it gets really deep and dark, uh, there's some comedy to, to add this levity that everyone really enjoys, and it, it keeps you sane throughout the show. We're so ready and so excited. We've revamped it since uh, we performed at Fringe. We've done some staging changes. We've changed some music, some dialogue. We've added in a couple cast members. Uh, so this real, feels really fresh, and this time we have microphones, which is going to be great. So the sound is going to be so much better just really nice musical wall of sound that's really curated. Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to it. Ah, yeah. Thank you. And you can find tickets to every silver lining at the Toronto Fringe website, fringetoronto.com. As I mentioned, my guest is Beatrice Pisano. B is the artistic director of Aluna Theatre, Canada's first Latin theatre company. Aluna Theatre, in association with Nightwood Theatre, presents The Solitudes from January 7th to 18th at the Harbourfront Centre Theatre in Toronto. So why don't we start by talking about the show, mm -hmm. which is called the Solitudes. The Solitudes. Yeah. So I know that I was reading a little bit, and I know that it's inspired by a novel by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Yeah. Yeah. But can you tell me a little bit about about what the Solitudes is about? Yeah. Well, you know, we started. Uh, let's see. Where did I? How did it begin? I was in a beach in Colombia, in the land of Marques, and I'm rereading after many, many years. I have two weeks at the beach house, and I say, okay, this is the time to reread 100 Years of Solitude. Mm -hmm. 
And I am there and I am in this land and so close to, you know, the reality of the book. And, and I was there and I started seeing images of women in, in the Luna space in our rehearsal room. It's just, they start appearing of these women. Mm. And, uh, and what, you know, after finishing the book and I, virtually, um, I was in a place where there's no way of getting out of there unless a motorcycle picks you up at the beach house and then you drive for two hours until you can get into somewhere in civilization. So I had the last page and I could hear the motorcycle coming to, and I said, I can't get on that motorcycle Mm. without reading it. And I read the last page and I went, oh my God. So um, I came back and there was this opportunity to apply for the new chapter grant from the council. And I just went like, okay, whatever, you know, like they say to dream your dream. And and for me, my dream, I mean, we have been very influenced by the collective creation from the Colombian collective creation Mm -hmm. because um, La Candelaria Theater has been quite um, influential in our work and how we approach the collective creation and how we have adapted it to, to working in Canada. And my dream was... What if I can really have the thing, the component of collective creation, which is so necessary, which is to be able to work as an ensemble for an extended period of time? Mm. Because here we get three, four weeks of rehearsal and that's it. And maybe mm-hmm. a few workshops here and there yeah. within two, three years, you know. And I just went, oh, wow, okay, I'm just going to apply. You know? yeah. <laughs> and I also wanted for me was to try and, and create from a different model and to see how women, what we want to talk about. And so the collective creation in that sense is very good because um, um, Santiago Garcia, the founder of La Candelaria, always says that the collective creation eventually unlocks the collective unconscious Mm -hmm. and the group will decide what they want to talk about Mm -hmm. through many, many improvisations. They start finding, distilling the Mm -hmm. thing. So one thing I knew was that what really attracted me to the book this time was the women. Mm. And I was going, they're so stubborn. I go like, just change your mind. It would be so easy. And then Mm. you can, you know, it's like, but when a woman in that book took a decision, there was nothing that could change it. Mm. And, And in a way I went, wow, there's something tragic about that, but there's something very powerful. And then I started feeling because that book is so much about the history of Latin America. Mm-hmm. The history of Colombia and the war is very interesting because Marcus doesn't put a single date in the whole novel. Mm. So, you know, not at all. But 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 knowing our own history and, and of course there's one he puts certain references like the the massacre in the banana in the banana zone when the Chiquita banana was there and, and there was a big massacre. Mm. And it's one of the most moving parts of the book where, you know, uh, they put like 3,000 bodies in a train and threw them mm. in the water and mm. the next day nobody remembers. It's like, what do you mean? So um, we started with the book. So we started reading. I said, okay, we, ha- we got the grant. So we have the dream world. I wanted A, to be able to employ eight women. Mm-hmm be able to pay them well and pay them for an extended period of time for us to have the time to actually be in a room and just imagine yeah. and create without the pressure of, of production. And I also wanted to be able in that process to offer these women 
different kinds of training because I've been very lucky of being able to go for I, I you know like in 2003 or something I, I i decided this goal that i wanted to go every year to a different master class in europe right so so i started finding my favorite places and but i would go there and go wow i'm getting this knowledge but i come back and nobody has it mm. because i get the grant i get to be lucky to go and uh so i went oh there's so many things that i just i just you know we don't we don't I wanted us to be able to experience that, to spend a whole week working with somebody just in viewpoints mm -hmm. and just like no pressure to create absolutely anything. Because what I do believe is those things really get in the body and, and they start, they will show up again when they need to show up. Mm -hmm. So we started by reading the book and, um, and I kind, I copy a lot of things from people that I have heard doing things, uh, um, Another uh, one of the di a director from Yuyascani, a company from from Peru, uh, Miguel. One day, how he created this show of Antigona, he asked his actress to do their research, and then as they went along, she would have to give conferences to the whole ensemble on 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 the development of her project and of the mm. research she had done. So. Uh, the book, the translation that we had, had about 200 pages. So I divided it in 20 pages and we began with, you go, you read the 20 pages, you come back and you tell it to us. Right. And this was also what had impacted then so that each woman was responding to that. Then they, of course, they got enamored with the characters, because who doesn't? With Ursula, Pilar Ternera, uh, Rebecca, Amaranta. And so, um, they started, we started improvising so that I would bring a theme to improvise on and they would just come and improvise. Uh, this is the first time that I have done something like this and I think I'm going to work like this from now on. Mm. I recorded absolutely everything. So the camera would be running the mm -hmm. eight hours a day of, of rehearsal. And the most interesting thing was the conversations that we had after. Mm. Mm -hmm. And that actually became the the dialogue of this piece. Mm -hmm. uh, so we began creating like, oh, let's do, represent Ursula and that. And we went, no. And the piece guided us, which is, oh, it makes me very emotional, guided me for the search of the truth. Right. And so what happens in that search of truth, and I feel in this moment in time when mm -hmm. the truth has become this very, I think is more needed than, you know, that, at any other time, but it's like, there was another day that they came with, I came with an improvisation that I said, what is your relationship to this land? Mm. Do a TED talk. And mm. these women are amazing. Yeah. The next day, each came with a half an hour TED talk. And they, you know, they loved it. Mm -hmm. And they came in with the TED talk. And what that did, I never asked them any other question but that. But the women start tracing their bloodlines. Mm. So, you know, the history of uh, Michelle with her history of her grandfather being the only one in her bloodline to uh, survive Auschwitz. Mm. Um, uh, Lara with her history of genocide, of the Armenian genocide and tracing that crossing of the desert of her family and the generations and... and uh, and um, Roma, for her, the, the, the African triangle and tracing mm -hmm. back, you know, the blood back to Africa, but also like 
Africans learning about what happened to mm -hmm. the ones here that they, you know, she has a lot of, um, she likes to pr uh, be the provocateur, as I call her. So she's going to say pretty, pretty interesting things on stage. Mm -hmm. Um each woman started tracing, you know, with Brethny. Um, uh, she started, for her, the, the history, for her, her history began with, uh, the, for, she has this line, it's no longer in the play, but she said the history of Canada is the history of residential school. Mm. So, so all these different ways of tracing, uh, with Sophia, you know, when she comes here, Sophia is a, a young, very young woman who came from Mexico. And for her being here, she started like, she didn't know when I asked her to do a TED talk, she started looking into the history of Mexico and going, oh my God, I'm mestizo, you know? And I'm yeah, like, yeah. you know, my father is really dark. My mother is really, you know? So she started tracing that, that those lines as well. Um, with Liliana, um, she comes from Colombia and she's, you know, so she, for her, she traces it to a more personal level and, and uh, she really takes on in a way the Marcus thing about like, we cannot normalize violence. Mm. That's not an option. Mm. And, uh, and, um, and with Janice, you know, she takes it, uh, Janice came into the, into the, into the project later. And I was just going to use images because she's, She's, uh, she trains her body in a very specific way. And so I invited her and said, oh, you'll be, I don't know, the land? I had no idea. Okay, how can somebody be the land? Maybe you're a wolf. I don't know what it is. But, you know, she also came, as, as she came here uh, and started working, uh, she's um, both um, uh, European. She's Mi'kmaq. She is, uh, um, her. Uh, she she has black indigenous and european is is her bloodline mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. and she's been raised in you know as an indigenous woman it, all this and with my god that's the americas mm -hmm. yeah. all these things coming together so and then um and so the solitudes we started going what is solitude right and uh and that what has taken for us i think in a way as i as i sit here today doing these rehearsals and of course they we're in rehearsals but the script is still changing you're putting this thing that is being uh gathered from a lot i think i probably transcribed around 300 hours of tapes mm. and then i i went to band for three weeks or five weeks and i just was in a cabin just like you know like and uh, and trying to make sense of these pieces that are that are trying to find that connection and they were very connected, but they were individual pieces. And when women started talking, one of the discoveries that we also made when women started talking about things or life and that, we immediately said, you can never say you mm. or something, I. Mm. And so for me, it was very important that those eight women on stage only represent themselves. Mm. That we're not putting a thing, it's just eight views yeah. and, and owning that and therefore, um, they're very vulnerable because they, there's nothing, there's not a single lie in this project. Mm. So even the lines that I, even if I put one line that they hadn't said, the script wouldn't mm. allow me. Mm. It was like, so that was the beauty of that, this discovering this process that I took all they wrote and wrote because we were writing the room a lot. So I would go through the text and edit, trying to form, you know, a, a structure. But anytime I try to solve a structural problem with one of my lines, mm. Mm. 
because I hadn't written in that mm. way. My writing was different. Yeah. And so in Banff, I was going, I'm writing a play that I have not written. Mm. It was like, I was yeah. going, how do I do as a playwright this thing? And so it's been extremely challenging, but also very liberating and also what I feel that 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 the opportunity of of this specific grant was, we probably won't get this kind of funding ever again because we're a small independent company. Yeah. But we say, like I say, well, we got nothing to lose, yeah. so we're gonna risk everything that we want to try. Yeah. Our women or these particular women, how do we want to speak in theater? How do we want to speak about ourselves and the world as we see it? Yeah. What responsibilities do we take mm. as women in this? Um, there's an exercise that we did, and I try to keep it. At, I, I have this rule that until I convince myself that it doesn't go in, in the script, it doesn't. But we talk about privilege. I wanted mm -hmm. to recognize that we're very privileged. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't matter where we have come from. Is we? I have women mm -hmm. in this place that come from all sorts of places in life. Some people have had... Many people have had many hard lives regardless, right? Mm -hmm. But but still, we're in a place where we can speak. Yeah. Where as women, we're not in the same danger that in other places. I think it's a very exciting time in life. I mean, I I always like to think in the positive, although we have all these things that seem overwhelming, and they are, but at the same time, I think there's also a time when I see all these protests that are going on, whether they haven't eventually, I mean, some are having the effect of that. The other day, there was a picture last week of 5 million women in India mm -hmm. holding like a chain, a human chain. Mm -hmm. And so India being such one of the most dangerous, I think, places for women. Um, so we also wanted to celebrate. Um, we never even use the word we don't use words that describe anything in our patriarchy, you know, mm -hmm. any. Mm -hmm. We're not interested in that language. We're not interested in attacking absolutely anything. That's not how we're coming at this. We're just kind of owning a place and having the guts to express our ideas that somebody may agree with us mm -hmm. and somebody may not agree with us. Mm -hmm. And so taking that chance as an artist as well uh, of what it takes to own your own words and not be not hide behind the character. Mm -hmm. So when I started telling them, well, you're, you're acting a character of yourself. That was very confusing at the beginning. Right. Are we ourselves or, or not? Well, we're always kind of a character in some ways, mm -hmm. but the truth is in you. And I, I, and I know because I, I've done some one woman shows and I, I usually my work is very, very personal. Um, is, 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 is very challenging. Mm. It's so challenging to learn the lines that you wrote. It's incredible. I don't know why. I know this. I know this myself from my own solo show. I wrote it and I thought, no problem. I wrote it. I can no. learn it. But it's a completely different part of your brain. It was one of the hardest things I've ever learned. I know. And the other problem is that you want to edit on your feet. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had to put my foot down today. No more editing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because, you know, that's the trap, right? And it's like... Because it's so easy to hide behind something else. And I just went, if we want to, it's a call to action, a call to the truth, to honoring the truth and live, you know, like, let's bring back truth mm -hmm. into this world. Like, let's not, let's not buy into this craziness that's going on that is okay to accept lies, mm -hmm. you know, publicly. And it's like, what? 
in this absurdity that 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 the lie the more you repeat it it becomes a truth yeah. and it's like wow that that is um that that blows my mind and i go and i go we are stronger we're stronger you know you know we, we we're we're made to feel that we're not but i do believe in the power of people and the mm. power of people going no more like what's happening in chile things you know that massive demonstrations and yeah. not giving up right and that's i think they had taken that power away from us thinking that there's no power in that but mm-hmm. i think eventually i have to believe that eventually this power i i have to agree with you yeah. um one of the things like how long from the time that you cast the show yeah till now what's that rehearsal what because we've been talking about the the length of time that you've yeah. been working yeah how long is that let's see it's been like two years okay i think in january it's going to be two years so because we were lucky to have we started like a, a three-week rehearsal, mm-hmm. so we have had sporadic throughout the two years. We have had training weeks that were just training and others that are just like maybe, maybe let's say 10 mm-hmm. weeks in total a year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't, collective creation, and I've, I've done some of it, but it, it's... It doesn't work within the, as you as you sort of in, uh, said, it doesn't work within the usual uh, uh, engagement contract, three weeks, two weeks. You can't create a show, you can't do collective creation in three weeks. And so you have to, it, it takes time. Yeah. Um, so having that time um, and, and, and pulling all of this together, I mean, that's, that's, that. Uh, have you ever done collective creation in this way before? No, no. I have had it through the company because when I'm working in, you know, if I'm just doing my own show at Aluna, mm-hmm. I can do whatever I want. Sure, yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, like the last show, one woman show I did, like uh, Trevor and I, I mean, we ran the company. So if we wanted to go into a room and work two hours, you know, and he's the designer director and I was the actor. Yeah. Oh God, did I have a hard time learning those lines? Mm. If you ask me to give you a line from that show right now, I can't, (laughs) (laughs) I I don't remember a single line. Mm. So, uh, uh, so for me, it was a dream come true. Also, um, like how do you work? Like I, I, I have seen my mentors and I admire them, but it's also the collective. This kind of work also requires imagery becomes very important. Mm-hmm. And how do you can, can you say the things through images that has been, and uh, I thought we work with a lot of imagery, but I go, that's to be very good at it is very difficult. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other thing that I discovered first, we were going to go like with all these gadgets, right? There. Even I started, I go, I feel so guilty with our props, props master, because every day I eliminate another thing. Mm-hmm. I'm going back to the simplicity of theater and the magic of theater. Yeah. I mean, here I have Trevor, that Trevor can create anything I want with video. He's a magician at it. But we go, do we really need to bring that? Mm. And I feel that video, we have worked on, with video for a long, long time now. We, and, um, we have used it in very beautiful ways, but I think video is also becoming, in a way, kitchen sink. Mm-hmm. Because we're trying to say everything, we think that the image, and we live in such a visual world that we're yeah. getting used to that. But I go, we're making it now something that is, you know, like we have to see the image, and, and theater is about that beautiful naked truth. Yeah, You know, it can be, right? The, yeah. the other thing is I always say, I'm, I'm careful now, 
how I speak about theater because theater is many things and there are many yes. different kinds of things. Yes. So when we say this, no, there are many different approaches, many different kinds of theater, many different reasons why you do theater. Uh, for me, it has always been, uh, you know, we are in a very lucky situation that we don't have to respond to an audience in that mm -hmm. sense that we don't, are not a theater that has to present seven plays a year and has to respond, you know, to what those audiences want. Yeah. And so we take big risks, which is, um, you know, of course, I cry a lot. I go, wow, mm -hmm. you know. But then, you know, when I get out of the crime, I go, I'm so glad I took that risk. But yeah. it's, it makes it challenging, yeah. right? Because, um, yeah, you don't have th that other security blanket, but you also have the opportunity to do something and try it. And uh, I just, um, you know, like what I have learned over the last 20 years of running this company is this. I love this so much. But I also know how difficult it is that I wake up every day in panic. Mm. You know, it's like, and the panic for the actor is different than the panic for the director and mm -hmm. the different for the playwright. Yes, when, you, yes. when you play those different roles, you go, oh my God, I had forgotten about the panic of, mm -hmm. on this side, right? Yeah. And when you're kind of playwright director as I am here, although I'm not the playwright because the, the, the texts are created, um, all the texts that I use are the texts written by these women. I did dramaturgy, I did some editing and that, but um, but it's is 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 difficult. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying many other things are difficult, but what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say is, it's also why I love it so much. And for me, it's a it's a way of life. It's no longer it's not a business because we don't make any money out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what I love is just that. If those women get out something in their lives of doing this project, mm. then theater has done something magic. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because those women are going to open the door for other beings, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that's, that's what I think sometimes we think that we have to make this big act, but the little things that, you know, one person opens the door for the next mm -hmm. one coming behind yeah. or for the one that was left somewhere along the road. Right. Mm. So, I just want them to have the opportunity to be, you know, valued as artists. Yeah. That's very important to me because all these women, they're younger, some young women in the cast, but there's a lot of us who have managed to stick with this no matter what. Yeah. And uh, whatever we need to do to keep making a living and keep being able to yeah. dream and create. And so... I want to honor that a lot mm. about all of us. We don't have yeah. to be women, but all these creators that, you know, that, that we keep believing mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, and making it happen. Yeah. So it is as much, I think, I think it's going to be a beautiful show. Uh, of course, today is the day I'm still terrified. I'm not, you know, until it opens, you know, mm -hmm. and when it opens, I'm going to die even more. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but I, I know there's one thing when, when, when Aluna came onto the scene, I had never written or directed in my life, and I ended up directing and writing the show in which I acted as mm. well. Never again. But but there was something so beautiful. Nobody knew us. I remember one day we had two, two people in the audience. And from the day on, the rule for us, we go on stage no matter if there's one person. Mm. For me, mm. it's not about the number of people in the cast because it's, it doesn't matter what anybody says if you believe in it, mm. in in the in the piece that you have put together, yeah, 
then you're invincible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The rest doesn't matter, right? So it is when I gather that belief, I go, yes, we have something, you know, like that we can fight for and stand for. Yeah. Yeah. When did you first start being interested in theater? Do you remember what that first spark was? <laughs> I started in Colombia because in high school, mm. I went to an American school. And so the Americans came with this thing of like doing theater, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and you know, we didn't, it was a way like, I remember a history professor that he taught us history by saying, do scenes and all of that. And I, you know, I started being a star. Like I really, that's where I hated school, you mm. know, but that's where, and so they start, they call my parents and they say, you know, they, she seems to really enjoy that, their religion class, because we had to take religion. But mm -hmm. I had a very advanced religious religion teacher who was a philosopher. He introduced me to Eric Fromm, uh, Escape from Freedom. I love that book. So he was a young man with a different, you know, it was, but the government uh, in Colombia at the time, I don't know if it has changed. You had to take religion. I asked my father to take me out of religion and we went to the school and they said, sorry, you cannot graduate. So, mm. so I made the compromise, but in that we started creating scenes about, um, social problems or things, scenes. And then you realize, oh my God, there's trauma in, in this person. And you know, like, you know, improvisations. Yeah. So I started like, and I really, really wanted to. So I pray, like, I, I, I cried to my dad, like, I want to be in theater. So he started finding that was something that certain kind of at that time in Colombia is ridiculous, but decent girls didn't go, you know, that was, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm, but my yeah. dad was very, he was a very amazing thinker. And so he, he, because he, he used to write for a newspaper and that's so he had, knew a lot of people. So he started inquiring. And at the time it just coincided that I got into dance. So I started pursuing that. And, um, and then I came to Canada, and uh, so I wanted to be a dancer, and then life had other other plans for me. I I, I had to have a surgery that, that just prevented me from, from continuing that way. And so I get back into starting to study acting and that, and I it just became my love. And, um, and um, there's a play. <laughs> it's funny because, you know, the other day I was, I was thinking, what of the best big, I mean, I... My parents would take me to shows and dance and that in Colombia, but I remember Vancouver. I had arrived and so I didn't hardly, you know, I could understand English and go to university, take notes, but I was very shy about speaking. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I saw Death of a Salesman. And it was a very good production. I think it was an American production mm -hmm. or something. And I went, it just like, oh, it was a beautiful performance. Mm -hmm. I can't remember anything else, but of going home and I was like, you know, I saw so much and I, and, and, you know, it's not the type of place I do now, but, yeah. but the impact of that life and what I saw, that beautiful humanness being revealed on stage, mm -hmm. I was very taken. And then I, then I, of course, I fell into mostly film and TV. I was living in Vancouver and uh, I was a Latino, so I, I started getting a lot of roles, you mm -hmm. know. I was killed in every episode, you know, whatever. But I started learning. And I loved being mm -hmm. in the set, watching great actors work, like all of that. And then I moved to Toronto, and I remember, like, the first day I arrived in this town. 
there was this, I can't remember what it was, at the theater center, the old theater center, um, uh, almost across from Kame H. It wasn't even the one. I know on the one. They used, I remember it was a summer works venue. It was uh, under the Legion. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And I go there, and they had like these showcases, and I walk in into this thing, and Toronto, I just went, oh, my God. God, it was such avant-garde work. Mm. It was like these crazy people were doing just the most beautiful stuff. That's when the Daniel MacIvers, all of mm. that were like, they were just coming onto the scene and trying all these wild things. And I went, I want that. Mm. So I was desperate. But, you know, so I started trying out for things and, uh, and um, people say, okay, we like you, but we don't know. And I don't want this to sound in a bad way, but I was told that by people I love and that did it with a lot of care. We don't know how to justify someone with an accent, mm. how it fits the other characters. Mm. That was that was then. Yeah. So I said, okay, bloody hell. I said, well, it cannot be that difficult to write a play and direct. and. and <laughs> <laughs> Which is, of course, a thing that somebody who's never done those things would say. And build, and build a company. <laughs> so I had this passion for these, one of the warriors in Latin America, you know, one of the great warriors, a woman, Manuelita Sainz, who, who fought in the war against the, the Spaniards. And she was just a magnificent being. And uh, so I said, I'm going to do a one-woman show. <laughs> about Manuelita and I applied to the Kankas I'm just the luckiest being mm -hmm. sometimes they still had money that's when they still had yes, money yeah. and there was this thing career change or something for somebody who has never done anything but is trying to you know going you know try something and I apply with hey I just want to write this thing this is this woman and I, the application wasn't very complicated and then I get ten thousand dollars <laughs> And I was at a time where it was like, I almost had no money in that, but I, I knew then you don't spend that money, you do the project. Yes, yeah. And uh, I'm very, and so that really prompted me to start doing it. And I started at the time, I also started working with Sohail Parsa from modern times that changed my life completely because mostly my work was on TV and mm -hmm. film. And, uh, and he also introduced me, so I was also a very method actor. That was kind of my work had always been based on that American training. And uh, and then we started doing a collective creation. Again, the times when there was money, he had a year to do workshops. Wow. It was the Daughters of Shahrazad. The first workshop was like an, a month and a half. Richard Ferrin was the sound designer. So we had these beautiful mm. people in the room. I had never been like... With, with, you know, uh, Stephen Droch had done the set. And so you have the lighting designer, the sound designer in a workshop with you. And I was going, and so hell, we still talk about the day that he finally broke me down. Not him, but that I, that I finally broke out of the shop because he was coming from the physical. And I was going, okay. And then I understood working with him that the, the physical can be as powerful emotionally of getting you into the emotion as, as the method is. Mm. You don't have to choose one or the other, but there are different ways of entering. And I, I remember this moment in Shahrazad that once you found it emotionally, every day I hit that mark on the stage 
I could go into the tears without thinking mm. about anything because we had built all this uh, physical vocabulary. He had Norma Raisa, a, a, a great choreographer, Mexican-Canadian choreographer working with us. And so I was introduced to this world and, and the vision. So he is so visual. Everything is these visuals. And, and so that also changed how mm. I saw things. And when I was going to direct, I wasn't going to direct the first play. But I lost the director, everything. So I went, okay, how difficult can it be? <laughs> the beauty of not knowing. Yes, of course. Yeah. Now you, I wouldn't do that. But the beauty of not knowing, you're fearless. Mm, yeah. Fearless and, oh, my God, I get we won't mention names, but there's somebody who had just come to the Globe and Mail, the first time reviewer, and he hated the play. Not only, it was a whole page, and I will never forget the last slides that said, I hope she has collected enough air miles to take a very long trip and think very carefully about, about what she has done. Oh, my goodness. And that comes out, I'm a, and I'm playing this character up on the second theater center, the one on Dover Court. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the rails, there were no rails up, so we were acting that one day, like, the, I'm acting this historical character, and a cleaner opens the door behind me, cleaning in the middle of the show. <laughs> Those are the beautiful things, yes. right? Yeah. But, you know, so... Here I am, my first play, and I's like, and I, I read that review and I go, you got to get back on that horse. Yeah. You're the producer, you're the director, you're the writer. They have just destroyed you. And that was for me. I remember Sohail said to me when I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And he says, okay, the proof is, will you do it whether you have money or not? Mm. That mm. is the proof of the artist. Yeah. You will do it no matter what. Yeah. I went, okay. And um, fortunately, I managed to get some funding because that also taught me something as a producer that I have kept to this day. Is I have to make a huge effort to make money, to, mm -hmm. to, to find the money. I never ask people to work for no mm -hmm. money. I work for no money. If I'm interested in something, I don't care. Yeah, It's my passion. I don't measure things that way. But it's my responsibility. And in, in, in at the beginning where we couldn't get those budgets, but if we had $1,000, $1,000 got split between everybody. Yeah. But that importance of USF, for me, I always say the responsibility because we make so much people work for free. You know, and the festivals, I love them for, for some things, but at others I question because artists are putting everything. Yeah. And then bigger the theaters are coming and now getting their shows after all this work has been done. So mm -hmm. there, you always have to be careful with that, right? And so I am very much about paying the artist. That's my thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, uh, but that has been kind of the journey. And here I am like 18 years later with the company and, um, I love it. It has, you know, I never knew that part of my journey was going also to create a community. Mm. I really started because I couldn't get the work that I wanted. I wanted to be a diva. Let's be honest. I wanted a one-woman show, which ended up a, a play with, like, with 12 actors, no one-woman show. Yeah. And uh, But then it was, a, you know, we hardly anybody knew us. We didn't have that much people coming to see the show. And suddenly we get nominated for three Doras and mm. we get two of them. 
Mm. And that changed completely in the way that it's not because they gave us that, but people, you know, suddenly the Targon asked me to come in as an intern, you know, opportunities began where I could get the training that I yeah. needed. So in that sense, it, it helped a lot. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, and then I understood that there was a whole, this huge gap in, in the Latinx community that in that play, I don't think when I did the first play or my friends were doing roles and they were not, mm. we didn't have Latin actors. It yeah. was like four people in town who, who were Latin and you cannot play every role just because you're Latin. So, um, it, it becomes, and then by 2010, there's such a, influx of refugees mm -hmm. from Brazil, Mexico, Colombia. Colombia was going through the one of the worst times of, of the civil war. And so we get a lot of people and people coming as artists already in their 40s or just mature artists who had a long careers. And that and they come, but they cannot speak English. Mm -hmm. So that prompted us to start Surtitling everything in the two languages. Mm. The first play we do in 2010 that we do that was beautiful. And Trevor says we were doing it about child soldiers. And uh, I had done a lot of research of women child soldiers in Colombia because they were very specific. You know, it attracted me a lot. Then I took the actress who was doing the role to work with child soldiers in mm. Colombia. I said, if you're going to do this role, you got to really know this, you know, like be in the contact of these kids. And, um, and uh, so there was a role that I couldn't fulfill, and I knew this Cuban actress that I loved, and she said, Bea, I cannot do it in English. I said, well, you play a dead person, not a ghost, because that was, this is the land of Marcus and my mm. mind of magic realism. The dramaturgs would tell me, uh, so that character is a ghost? And I was going, no, she's just dead. <laughs> And the dead yeah. walk through the rooms, mm. you know, like yeah. Marcus says, you know, like, you know, it's like, you know, they walk, you know, they're so tired being alone in their solitude of death yeah. that they come back. Right. And everybody knows they're dead. Right. But but um, so we I said, OK, you do the scene in Spanish and the other the young actress does it in English because you're dead. So I can really justify it. Yeah. And Trevor says, if we're going to do that, we subtitle the play completely in the two languages. And not just her titles, but it's part of the mise en scene, the mm. design. And so that began in 2010, begins the investigation of the company in this bilingual mind. Mm. And then we work with Diana Cho and do Red Snow in Chinese, written Chinese and uh, all Chinese. And we take it to China, to a festival in Shanghai. And uh, so we start expanding, going, the language doesn't have to be an issue. Mm. You know, we can do... And, and then the later years have been about how does the bilingual mind works and how and how we can utilize that, not to deny that to anybody, because you go to festivals around the world and everything is your title, right, yeah. in international festivals. And I think we're getting more and more rid of that. There's a, a beautiful story I had forgotten, and I, I brought it to the room the other day. I was working with Liliana, who's in this piece, and she's also from Colombia, refugee, a great actress. And she goes, I'm not going to act in English. I said, don't worry. We'll do it in Spanish with English or titles. Our first test audience, we had been invited to try 30 minutes at this human rights conference where our first audience were 10-year-olds. In this tiny room that it wasn't really fitted for, for subtitles and yeah. that, but we do. And then we said, did you... Was, did you understand it? Did that bother you? 
Mm. They understood the whole story. Yeah. They loved them. The kids that have heard Spanish at home but didn't even speak it anymore. It was like, wow, they started feeling this pride, mm. right? And uh, and it was very, very interesting that the kids, I guess because they're in this world that they're texting and all of that, that wasn't something that bothered them. Mm. It was a language that visually they understood. And that was our first test with it. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So there are many beautiful stories. Yeah. 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 So that's the solitude yeah. in many ways. So for me, solitude is a word that, that it can be seen as a, as a negative, but solitude is also a beautiful thing and very necessary. What, uh, there was a CBC podcast the other day, and the, this guy, I was just caught as I didn't catch his name, but he said, solitude is Loneliness is failed solitude, something mm. like that. Oh, please, I mm. hope he's not listening at that misquoted because there's such, and he was actually talking about how hard it is in, in our world now to embrace solitude. Mm. And solitude is our moments of, of reflection yeah. and of being with yourself. And I guess what I what was inspired about the book is the women in Macondo, those stubborn women, the only thing is that they lived in a world of men and war where they didn't have a voice. Mm. And I'm very careful about saying voiceless because I don't believe yeah. in that. But they were like, he frames them in this world where, you know, like, you know, they managed to survive because of their solitude. Yeah, They survived all of them mm -hmm. because they had the capacity to isolate themselves and to invent a life that would keep them until they were 120 mm. in that solitude. Mm. And that's how the, it was their protection against this world that wouldn't give them a space. And that was crazy because, you know, it was a, a, a world of war. And, uh, and so that's where I went, like, this is a positive and a beautiful thing, right? Mm. So uh, that's, that's where the inspiration for this has come from. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. Oh, thank you. This has been a Homebody Productions production.